Good morning. Welcome to the Monroe Church of Christ Sunday morning Bible study. I'm Derek Glover, the preacher at the Monroe Church of Christ. And I want to welcome all of you, those who are regular watchers, regular attendees here at our, uh, our services. Uh, glad you could join us. And those who are watching elsewhere, we're glad you're with us as well. On Sunday mornings, we are examining the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, which are found near the end of the, of the New Testament, um, written presumably by the Apostle John, though that is far from conclusive, but certainly someone uh, who would have been a protege of his uh, at least had a hand in this, and it could be that we're reading transcripts of a sermon or, manus or copies of manuscripts of, of pieces of things that John wrote. But we notice, as we've studied these first three chapters, that it follows very closely a theme that's established in his gospel, which we studied over the past several months. In John's gospel, he talks about the relationship we have with God through Christ, and that we are bound together with one another in that relationship with Christ and with God. And all of that is predicated on the love we have for one another. And certainly, the language of 1 John has a lot of love in it. He refers to the reader uh, or the audience as beloved or little children. He, he has a great deal of affection for who he's talking to. We're in chapter 4 now of 1 John, and we're going to dig in here uh, and continue to, to examine this wonderful letter. Go to 1 John chapter 4, if you have your Bible with you. And let's begin in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, let's deal first with this word spirit. When we hear the word spirit, we think of it as uh, spiritual beings, things unseen, demons and angels, those sorts of things. Uh, that's really not exactly literally what we're talking about. We're talking about ideas, thoughts, um, Every, every whim and everything that comes your way, he's saying to don't, don't believe just everything you hear. Don't believe everything that, that comes your way. Uh, this would have been the language of the time and the language they would have understood. And he says to test the spirits. Test what you hear. Test those who are sharing this message with you. Don't take everything at face value when it comes to the word of God. And he says, the reason you should look to see whether they are from God is because there are, there are false prophets out in the world. Now, when we think of false prophets, the way that is often described in our modern churches, it has a lot to do with false doctrine or doctrine we simply disagree with. We've heard sermons and lessons about false teachers and false prophets for generations that have been predicated on the notion that if another group of Christians disagrees with us uh, or we don't believe that they have, uh, are, are handling a certain part of Scripture properly or correctly, that's a false teaching, that's a false prophet. Uh, I think a lot of that comes from way, way back. That, that would come from the times when, um, the, the, during the Protestant Reformation, the early days of the Restoration Movement, uh, really the later days of the Restoration Movement, because in the earlier days they didn't really hold those sort, sort of doctrinal views. But, but this comes from generations back. This comes from the idea that we're separating ourselves from a group that we have fundamental disagreement with, uh, and, and so we've got to consider them to be not valid in their positions, and we base it on this idea that there's false prophets. Well, 
The Bible deals with false teachers in very different ways. And we're going to have a definition given here, essentially, of what a false teacher or a false prophet is. And it might differ very much from what we think of when we think of false teachers. So let's continue reading. He says, test the spirit to see whether they're from God. Now, again, it's not test the spirit to see whether you agree with it. It's test the spirit to see whether it's from God. We've got to make an assessment when we hear people proclaiming the word, proclaiming that they are from God or that they are speaking in the interests of God, we've got to weigh the words that we hear with what we know God to be. And, and the point of the author here is that you can know. You can know whether what you're hearing is truly the gospel, truly from God, truly true. And you can know that in this way. He says, verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. All right, we'll break down some of that. This is a definition of false prophets or false teachers. Again, we have kind of developed this idea over, over the centuries that false teachers are those that teach a different doctrine than what we believe the Bible to say. And so this may be tough to see a definition that is, is so clear and really only has one criteria. Because think of what the author is saying to this audience and consider the time it's written. We're in the first hundred years following the life of Christ, okay? In fact, probably about 50, 60 years removed from Christ's death by the time this is written. It's, it's late in the first century. When this is written, um, Christ, the, the story of Jesus is well known. There were witnesses that are still living to his life and his ministry. There are those who are writing. There are those who are teaching. And in the midst of that, because the transmission of information was not as uh, readily accessible as what we have today, rumors begin circulating. Ideas begin circulating that are not true. That's why the Gospels were written. That's why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote those Gospels. They needed to get the definitive story out. Remember what Luke says when he writes his Gospel. He says a lot of people have taken uh, up the, the, um, the task of writing this, but I decided to put everything together and give you a definitive Gospel account. That's what Luke was trying to do. They were all trying to do that in, for their own audiences and in their own ways. Because if you don't, the story gets lost. It gets changed. It gets altered. It, 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 it begins to degrade. Uh, it's like a game of telephone, if, if you've ever played that. Um, and so this author is saying, you're going to hear some things sometimes that are not true. They're wrong. They're false prophets, not just different doctrines. We hadn't gotten to that yet by the time he wrote this. this everything was, was still, uh, Christians were pretty much on the same page uh, and continuing the call for unity. But, but he says it's not just false doctrines, not just different ideas. Here's the criteria. If what you hear and the people who are saying it confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh from God, then that's someone you can listen to. If they don't confess Jesus Christ is, came in the flesh from God, then, then don't listen to them. Now, we'll get to that Antichrist thing in just a minute. But, but think of that. Do we think that way? Do we think that way about differences of belief, differences of opinion, differences of doctrine? Some differences are pretty serious. Some differences, uh, I, you know, I feel pretty strongly about a few things. 
and others feel very strongly about a few things. Can we overcome those differences to have fellowship with one another? Now, is somebody right and somebody wrong? Maybe, in some cases. Are those differences serious? Is it very serious to be wrong about some of those things? Yeah, there are some very consequential doctrinal issues that I think some people have wrong. And there are some probably consequential doctrinal issues that I might have wrong. That's really not what, what we're dealing with here. There is a, a time and a place for trying to sort those out, teach one another, encourage one another, and learn, and maybe change minds. And maybe we never will. And yes, someone may be right and someone may be wrong, and very seriously so. Some of these things are not just matters of opinion. They're serious. But the question that the author says that we ask is this. Is this person confessing Jesus Christ as the Son of God? If so, then they're from God. That's the only, that's the simple baseline criteria the author gives. In a time when there were many voices that were coming out of the woodwork, proclaiming to know and, and the gospel and to teach the gospel, and they weren't teaching the gospel. They were teaching something different. They were placing Jesus and God in a different position spiritually than what is true. He's trying to warn them to stay away from that. And the way you tell if you should listen to what someone's saying is, do they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? That's an amazing standard by today's standard to which to hold teachers and preachers because it is far less stringent than what we probably do most of the time. Sometimes there are people we won't listen to just because they might attend a different congregation or they might uh, teach something different than what, we, than what we understand or what we know. And I, I appreciate all the differences and I appreciate how strongly people feel about it, but what we have here are the words of this author who says, here's how you know, this is how you test the words, this is how you test the teachings, this is how you test the spirits. It's by asking the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? If they don't teach that Jesus is, came in the flesh from God, then uh, the author says this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, um, let's wrap up this one point and move into another one, but uh, I think this is um, a little bit challenging for us today because we've come so far with this understanding that when we have disagreement, we have to separate. Um, and certainly when we have doctrinal disagreement that we feel is substantial and perhaps even serious in nature, we definitely have to separate our fellowship. Well, that, that has just continued to occur from the beginning of time, that when we disagree, we kind of separate and form a new community. And I, I don't believe that's what God has in mind for his church, and I don't believe that's what the author here in 1 John is trying to convey to us. Uh, it's something a little bigger than just disagreeing. It's when we go beyond a proper understanding of who Jesus was and who he is and what that means about our relationship with God. That's where we have to draw a line. All the other things we disagree about, we can continue to disagree about. We can try to sort out. We can debate. We can figure out. But, but there's a difference in that and saying, I disagree with you. I think you're wrong. You think I'm wrong, whatever. There's a difference in that, which there's plenty of liberty to, to take place, and completely cutting off from someone. If you're going to cut off from someone, you better be very sure that they are not 
preaching the gospel and they are not teaching their understanding of Jesus Christ and his teachings and the way we know is so simple. Do they believe Jesus is the son of God? Then, then listen to them, listen to them. And then consider it from there uh, in light of everything else we know. Now, I use this word antichrist. So much is made of this word antichrist um, as though it's a particular person or being that's going to come and going to uh, create havoc on this earth. And, and when we deal with the book of Revelation, we see it can be challenging to get through all the symbolism and the, and the cryptic language. And we have this, this word antichrist. Just know it's just someone who opposes Christ, okay? In, in this sense, it's just, it's just the forces that oppose Jesus. It's those who would have been teaching a different gospel, those who would have been challenging the divinity of Christ. And by the way, that has been going on since he showed up. Uh, the teachers were challenging his divinity. The, the, the rabbis and the priests were challenging his divinity. The, the learned men of the first century were challenging his divinity. Centuries later, uh, there would be uh, bishops and priests in, in the Roman Catholic Church that would challenge his divinity. And even today, his divinity is challenged. Those who speak on behalf of God while denying the divinity of Christ are the antichrist, according to this definition. Those who purport to speak on behalf of God but deny the divinity of Christ, they, they, are, they are not to be listened to. They are destructive. Verse 4, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So he's saying, you know, when you're dealing with people who are preaching something that is contrary to the nature of Jesus Christ, when you have determined that they do not acknowledge Christ from the Father, and in the flesh and his divinity, then you know that they're teaching something false. That's the criteria. That's it. That's what we will divide on. That's what we will fight over. And he says, but you don't need to fret over this. You know, we could sit around and wring our hands about all these people who are teaching false doctrine and who are false prophets and who are false teachers. We could wring our hands or we could say, you know what? I have the truth. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came and lived amongst us and saved us from our sin by his death and resurrection. I have the truth. Those who are interested in the truth will hear me and they will come to him. We're not going to worry about all those other people. We could spend all of our time fighting or we could spend our time continuing to preach the truth and teach the gospel as we know it. And, and those who, who are of God, those who are interested in God and in a relationship with him, they'll hear us. And the people that hear them are the people of the world. And that's what they're interested in. So the writer says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. You've overcome that. Don't fight that battle. That is a, that is a useless battle. Fighting false teachers and false prophets is like wrestling with a pig. You both get muddy and the pig enjoys it. And the author says, don't do that. Let, let's move on from there. Now, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, it's interesting that comes right after that. He says, you know, hey, you're going to need to determine when you hear something if it's the truth or not. And the way you determine it is, are those who are speaking it 
uh, are they acknowledging this relationship we have with God through Christ? Remember, that's the theme. That's the theme of the Gospel of John. It's the theme of the epistles of John. If you hear something, and if that person is not teaching Jesus Christ as the, as the critical uh, in-between intercessor, mediator of our relationship with God, if they're not teaching the divinity of Christ, standing in between us and God, and allowing God and man to have a relationship, then, then they're not from God. And you should disregard them and not listen to them. But he doesn't say fight them. He says, you keep teaching the truth. And then go right from this kind of contentious sort of uh, tone to this. Let us love one another for love is from God. In other words, don't worry about the fighting. Focus on loving one another the best you can and continuing to tell the story of Christ. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. Now, I want to back up here. We see this structure repeated so much in, in these letters. He, he's trying to get across the idea, again, that the relationship with God is founded on Jesus Christ. Here's God, here's man. God sent Christ, Christ called us, we respond. Now we have a dynamic relationship with Christ through his blood in baptism. And because of that relationship, the transitive property of that relationship means we have a relationship with God. We are of God. We are from God. We are with God. All of those prepositions apply. And here he's, he, we see a, a repeat of the same structure. He'll say something like this. God is X. And so if you are X, then you are like God and you are, have a relationship with God. But if you're not like X, you, you don't have a relationship with God. There are, some, there are some characteristics that we must have, that we should have, that we will have if we are in God and if we are in him through Christ. So keep that in mind. It's, this is a well-known verse. But it repeats a structure that is familiar to this particular letter because he says over and over, if you're this, then you're of God because God is this. But if you're not this, you're not of God, you're of the world. He draws very clear, distinct lines. There's no in-between in the epistles of John. If you're this, then you're, God. You're, you're, you're with God, you're of God. If you're not that, then you're not. It's a very clear line. So let's read now in that context this verse. Love, uh, for love is, love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. So those who partake in love with one another, a, a fellowship, agape, uh, a love of your brethren, a love, uh, spiritual love, those who partake in that kind of self-sacrificing love you have a relationship with God. Now, this is both uh, an indicator of a relationship, but also an identifier. That's how he uses this structure in the letter. He says, if you want to know who the Christians are, look for these characteristics, because that's what God is. And if they are that, then they're from God. And if they're not that, they're from the world. That's what he's just said about false teachers. And now he says, but if you have love, and if you see someone who has love, and if you're loving one another in, in, in the way God loves you, then you have a relationship with God. So he, he continues this theme of this transitive uh, characteristics and transitive relationship and, and, and applies that to love. The one who does not love 
does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9 now. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. Now, pay attention. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. So, the love of God, it demonstrates itself. It shows itself in us. And here's how. Because God sent Jesus. Again, isn't it? Isn't it he's so consistent. Here again, he points out a characteristic of God. God is love. And if you love one another, then you are showing that you are from God and you can know that someone is from God. Now, how is that possible? That's what verse 9 teaches us. Because God sent Christ, because God sent Jesus, and we can live through him, the love of God was transferred to us. We are partakers in the love of God through Christ. Verse 10, in this, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's that word again, propitiation. It shows up here a couple of times in, in this uh, letter. In John, it shows up a couple of times in scripture elsewhere. The idea of propitiation is not a word we throw around a whole lot, but it, it means something that, that satisfies a debt. It satisfies a debt. It stands in the place of what we owe. And so this writer here says, um, in this is love, not that we've loved God. In other words, you're not, the, you're not the catalyst of it. You don't possess the ability to love God in that perfect way that he can love you. So it's not anything we've done. It's not that we've loved God enough to be good or to be righteous. It's that God loved us first, and he sent his son to satisfy the debt of our sin, to be the propitiation to stand in our place. So this love has flowed completely one way. And once we receive it, now it can flow from us as well. So uh, God loved us. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Um, again, the, I, I like to point out the word perfected. To, to perfect something in, sometimes in the Greek especially, means to complete. So God sends his love to us through Christ. We, in forming a relationship with Christ, are imbued with that love, and then we share that love with one another, and we, and we give some of that love back to God, and we have this amazing relationship that love permeates all of it and spreads from it. And he says that um, it's because he loved us, we ought to love others. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, the love of God is made complete because we take it on and then we share it. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. So again, he, he talks a lot about how do you know if someone is a child of God? How do you know that you're a child of God? We know it because we have the spirit and we understand this uh, because we testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. It's all about Jesus. It all goes back to Christ. If we accept and believe and place our faith in Christ and live accordingly then we are children of God and we can share the love and the joy of that fact with all around us. And we can know with confidence who we are, whose we are, 
and who we fellowship with. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. There you go. Same theme, all right? And he, he says, hey, it comes down to this. You confess Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then God is in that person, and he is in God. So transitive property there, continuing that idea. And so, uh, verse 16, again, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So he, he continues to repeat this theme and this structure. Hey, it's all about accepting, confessing Jesus, and then loving. Having love in you and sharing love with others. Those two things define our relationship with God. God abiding in us and, and us in him. Verse 17, by this love is perfected with us, completed with us, um, uh, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he, uh, as he is, so also are we in the world. Um, right here the author is talking about the, the confidence we can have in, in our salvation because of these things. We, we know that the love is perfected or completed in us. Why? So that we can be confident when the day comes, in the day of judgment. When, when this life passes, when this world is over, when we go to stand before God, we can have confidence because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you have the love of God in you, you can't help but share that with others. And they can see God through you and through your love. That's the completion. That's the perfection of the love. You can have confidence. You don't have to be afraid. You can boldly proclaim Jesus Christ as the Son of God and show love to others. And he says, and if you don't see that love demonstrated in others, you can know that they don't have that relationship with God. Boy, that's scary because I feel pretty confident I have a relationship with God, but I can't tell you with 100% confidence that I've always loved the way God loves. Um, and if I don't love the way God loves, then this tells me that I'm not from God. I don't have the full measure of the love of God in me and if I can't love someone that I'm face to face with, then how am I supposed to love God who I've never seen? Not physically, at least. So every, we'll go back to verse 20. And we'll finish up the chapter. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. The one who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment, verse 21, this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. That's as plain as it can be. And it's really hard to, to wrap our brain around this. We don't talk about this a whole lot, do we? When was the last time you heard a sermon on 1 John chapter 4? Probably been a while. Because sometimes living as a person of faith, we complicate it. We complicate it. And it's actually pretty simple. Faith expressing itself in love. A faith in Jesus Christ an acceptance of the redemptive power of Christ's blood 
that God has offered us, a reception of his love, and then, according to the author here in 1 John, almost an uncontrollable desire to, to spread that love to others because if Jesus has, has expressed such love from God in his death, how can we help ourselves? We have to give love to others. We have no choice but to love others. If God loved us this much, we should love one another this much. And this is the commandment. It's come straight from him, straight from Christ, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So how do we know if someone is of God? How do we know if someone is teaching uh, something that ought to be listened to? How do we know if they are faithful to the gospel? Watch how they love. And understand that others are watching you too. They're watching us to see how we love. If we want our churches to grow, if we want our fellowship to increase, if we want our communities of faith to, to deepen their relationships with one another and with God, it's going to have to start here. It's going to have to start from a place of love. Do you love one another enough uh, that it comes anywhere close to the way God loves you? That's what we're called to. We'll finish up 1 John um, in a couple of weeks, and we will be on to 2nd and 3rd John, and we'll finish out the summer uh, through these epistles. And I look forward to doing that. I'm glad you could join us. Worship service will be live streamed at 11 o'clock this morning, and we hope you'll join us for that at that time. Thanks. Have a great rest of your morning.